Well, good morning. Uh, welcome again to the well. Welcome to those worshiping on, upstairs at the Well Cafe. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, thrilled to welcome you if this is your first time here with us at First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, we are beginning a new series today, but I want to first tell you about a few things that are coming up uh, in the life of our church. First, if you're brand new, uh, we have seven weekend services, so plenty of options for you uh, according to time and style and all different uh, sorts of things. Saturday night, several services, Sunday morning and then Sunday afternoon. We're making a change in one of those services. Our Saturday night service uh, for many years has met in our sanctuary. Uh, Next week, they will start meeting in here uh, at 6 p.m. Saturday night in the chapel. And by here, I mean uh, in the chapel for those uh, who are upstairs. And so I want you to be aware of that. One of the things that is kind of the dynamic of our life together is people jump around to all sorts of services, uh, depending on uh, what you got going on that particular weekend. And we appreciate the fact that we have those many options for you. So I want to make sure you all know about that change that we're going to have Saturday night. You already heard me talk about two weeks from today. Uh, Bishop Michael Lowry is going to be here preaching for us. We're excited about him coming and sharing as a part of this series. Uh, He's the bishop, which means he's the boss, okay? So you need to know that, but we haven't invited him because he's the boss. We've invited him because uh, we see him as an exceptional follower of Jesus, and he will bring a dynamic uh, message for you in this, in the context of this series uh, that we're doing right now. I'm really excited about your opportunity to hear, uh, hear him speak. Uh, the reason that he's coming, this is the third thing I want you to know, the reason that he's coming is because Mike and I will not be here that weekend. Uh, we're not even going to be in this hemisphere, okay? We're going to be in Israel that weekend uh, on, a, on a trip to the Holy Land uh, with about 63 individuals uh, from our church. So we Appreciate your prayers uh, as we travel. We'll be go- we're leaving on the 18th. We'll be back on the 27th. We'll be back that following weekend. Uh, but the other thing I want you to know about is part of the reason that we're going is that the series we're going to walk through next is going to be called Discovering the Holy Land. And so for the thousands in our church who are not able to go with us, we're going to bring back lots of imagery, video, uh, still shots, other things to share with you, uh, uh, to help you discover, if you will, uh, the place where Jesus lived. And so we're excited about that during the Lenten season that we're going to be able to to do that. So I hope you are looking forward to that as well. So today we're starting a series called Finisher. uh, And the very simple idea at the heart of the series is that life is not about starting things, life is about finishing things. Uh, One of the ways that you might think about that is if you were going to evaluate where you are in your life right now, you would not make a list of all the things that you had started. You would make a list of all the things that you had finished or you were close to finishing because life is not about starting things. Life is about finishing things. Last night, I was in here about five o'clock doing a wedding, a great wedding, beautiful wedding. And, and I don't know if you know this, but people put a lot of time and effort into weddings. Do, do you know that? I mean, it's a big deal. You don't want to mess those things up. So, so we're in here for this wedding and there's this young couple who's sharing vows with one another. And I let them do something that I don't normally let couples do. We did the traditional vows, but then I let them share whatever they wanted to share with each other. They wanted to come up with their own vows, which always makes me nervous because I'm afraid they're going to say something like, you know, I'll give it my best shot or, you know, I just, I want to make sure they say the right things. So, so we share the traditional vows and then they share the words that they have written for each other. And let me just tell you, it was so sappy and sweet, the words that they share with one. I mean, everyone was just like, it was just this, this, oh, I mean, everyone together, all together went, oh, so sweet. But you know, part of us, those who have been married before, we're at that moment just thinking, man, good luck. I mean, this is going to be hard, (laughs) right? 
Because we know what marriage is really about. If you've walked through that, you know that these sweet, sappy words will not be the words that define every single day going forward. We know that marriage is not about starting something. When you come to that place, it's about committing to finish something, right? That's what life's about. Life is not about starting things. Life is about finishing things. Now, the imagery that we're using, you've seen this on your bulletin and uh, some other things that we've shown you, is the image of a runner finishing a race. And we're sharing that imagery for a couple of reasons. Number one, it makes sense to me. Uh, for, for, for me in my life, one of the hobbies that I have, one of the ways that I decompress and kind of relieve stress is, is I run. That's, that's something that's become a big part uh, of my life. Lots of reasons for that. But one of the things that's been kind of surprising to me in that process is I've learned a lot about life. It's taught me a lot about myself and, and, and just, just a lot of lessons that have been helpful for me. So it makes sense to me, which helps me in making sense of it to you. That's, that's kind of the thought process. But the other thing is that this metaphor, this idea of the life of faith being like running and finishing a race is a metaphor that we find throughout the New Testament. Uh, Paul uses this as well as other New Testament writers to describe the life of faith. So let me give you a couple of examples. The first is from Paul's letter to Timothy. Now Timothy was for Paul, this is the way he described him, his son in the faith. So Paul, near the end of his life, a man, a dynamic speaker, a man who who wrote prolifically, who did incredible things in the life of the early church, as he came to the end of his life and prepared to pass the mantle of leadership that he had held for so long to Timothy, this is how he described his feelings about that moment. He says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. So when you think about finisher, when you think about what we're talking about, that, that's, that's a great way to describe it. To, to come to a place in your life where with a sense of satisfaction and grace and humility, you might be able to say, I've fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. I've come to the end of my life and at this, at this place I, I have this sense that I've done what God has asked me to do. I have fulfilled the responsibilities that I have carried with, with my whole life. I can, I can lay my head down with no regrets because I've finished the race. That's what it means to be a finisher. And the reason that we're talking about this series, the reason we're going to walk through these next four weeks is we want that for everyone in our church. To be able to come to the end of your life and be able to express it that way that I fought the fight that God has called me to fight. And I finished the race. And I, over the course of many decades, I have kept, I have kept the faith. Now here's another example that we're going to look at today. This is from Hebrews chapter 12. And what I, want, what I want you to know about today's message is today is about starting this conversation. We're actually going to get to a point at the end of this message where we just kind of stop. We're not going to necessarily finish. There's more to come. Most of what we're going to talk about is in next week. We're just going to start the conversation, unpack the metaphor. Why is it that running a race is an appropriate metaphor for the life of faith? And talk about why so many of us struggle in that. And why so many people come to the end of their life not feeling the, the same thing that Paul felt, not feeling that sense of satisfaction, uh, the humility that says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith, but so many people in their life with so many regrets of things that they did not finish, did not accomplish, that they may feel like God had called them to do. So here's Hebrews chapter 12, this is what it says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Now, if you're a regular, you've heard me say before that when you're reading the letters of the New Testament and you come to the word therefore, that's kind of a hint to wake up. So if you're kind of drowsing, I'm losing my, you know, my mind's wandering, I'm reading through Hebrews. If you hit the word therefore, that means wake up. What you're about to hear is really, really important. Usually when we hit the word therefore, what the writer is about to do is sum up what he has just been talking about with, with some very important statement of faith. So to understand what, what's happening here in chapter 12, we have to understand what's happening in chapter 11. So if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, if you're just reading through, what you'd find in Hebrews 11 is basically a hall of fame of faith. So the writer of Hebrews goes through, uh, recounts the narrative of many different biblical characters talking about the way in which they live their life, they, they, they finish their race, they kept the faith. So he talks about Noah and Moses and David and Rahab and Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and all of these different heroes of their faith story. He recounts their story, he celebrates the story, and he obviously lifts them up to say, this is what your life is supposed to look like. This is what your life is, is about. As these who have gone before you have lived their life of faith, have run their race, so should you run with perseverance the race set out before you. But in chapter 12, he kind of takes this, this reminiscing about the, these glorious ancestors to a new level. He doesn't just relegate them to you know, stories you might tell about around the campfire, about your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather who was just awesome. No, what he does is he takes these characters, these people that, that they had heard about all of their lives, and he places them in what we might imagine as a coliseum. He puts them in the stands. They become the crowds in the imagery that he uses. Crowds that are encouraging and cheering on those of us who right now are running our race. So, so the recipients of this letter, uh, the writer pictures those people as those who are running the race. But they are running it not alone. But they are running it with a great crowd of, of, of witnesses who surround them in the stands who are cheering for them, uh, encouraging them to keep running. Don't give up. Finish your race. Now, I told you that, that running's become a deal for me. It's something that I, that I enjoy doing. And over the course of the last uh, four or five years, I've run four marathons. Now, I, can t- I can't tell you which of those I enjoyed the most. But I can absolutely tell you which one I enjoyed the least. It was December 2011. Uh, It was the Dallas Marathon. Uh, Weather conditions for that day were as follows. Uh, It ranged from about uh, the high 30s to the low 40s. And it rained the entire time. Which for me was about five hours. Okay, I don't run very fast. So for five hours, I was out in the cold while the rain just pounded me. Now, you, you may not have ever been outside in the rain for five hours in a row. But let me just tell you, it has a way of beating you down. 
I mean, you just find yourself mentally exhausted. It was wet. It was cold. It was absolutely miserable. And in fact, someone last night who was at the service who actually ran that day, he came up to me with just a totally stoic face this morning. He said, that was the worst day of my life. And I thought, me too. I I totally get that. It was a terrible, terrible day because of the conditions. But here's what else was, what was different about that day. There were no crowds. I mean, the only people who were dumb enough to be out there were the runners. No one else was coming out to support them. There was no, there was no family sitting in their front yard kind of cheering on the runners. There were no inspirational, funny signs being held up. There was no one out there like passing out Snickers bars and orange slices and all those little treats you get near the end of the race. There was no one. Only the dumb people who were running the race were out in those elements that day. And so this thing that you grow to depend on, this energy enthusiasm that that runners kind of feed off of it was completely absent that day there were no crowds there were no signs there was no smiles there was no there was no eye contact with someone who said keep going don't give up you you can do it there was none of that and you missed it it was absent and you could feel it You could feel that energy being drained because when you're out there running and you hit mile 18 or 22 or 25 and you know that the only thing that's going to carry you across that finish line is just grit and determination and you see a sign that says run when you can, walk if you have to, crawl if you must, just never give up, it feeds you. It energizes you. It, it, feels, it fills you up because, because you're dealing at that moment with what everyone else is dealing with, which is the universal temptation to quit. To say, this is dumb. What am I doing? I'm cold. It's wet. I want to quit. And then you see that sign. You see that, that, that person smiling, that person encouraging, that person lying to you and saying, you look great. What are you talking about? And, and it, just, it, just, it just fuels you to keep running your race. One of the most memorable moments that I've had in, in, all, in all the runs, my very first marathon, mile 19, a little scout troop on the Dallas White Rock Marathon, they always have this station at mile 19. And there's this little jut in the, in the, in the track. You kind of go up a hill. And, and, and there's this scout master, my first marathon. It's 19. I've never run this far before. I'm at 19. I'm, 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 you know, this is all gravy at this point. And he's standing in, the, in, the, in this little, little path that, that, that we have there. And he came up and he shook my hand. He said, you're going to finish. You're going to finish. I was like, really? <laughs> That's great. Because <laughs> at that moment, I was feeling what everyone else was feeling, which was just, I want to quit. I want to quit. Here, here's, what, here's what I want you to hear very carefully. In the run of faith, in the race of faith, there is a universal temptation to quit. Everyone feels it. Everyone walks through it. You may have already hit that wall or it may be something that's waiting for you down the road. But everyone at some point runs into that. Which means that if you've been there or if you may one day be there, it's not because you messed up. It's not because when you said the prayer, you got the words out of that order. It's not because you're dumb. It's not because you're the only one in the world who has felt that. It's because following Jesus is hard. It's an obvious truth, but but we we too easily forget it. This is not easy stuff. Following Jesus is hard. And we all face those moments in in life where we just say, I'm going to quit. This is too hard. 
This is more than I thought it would be. This is, this is more difficult than I thought it would be. We all face that temptation. And notice how the writer takes this theme and just carries it throughout the rest of that scripture. There a few things that he encourages us to do. To throw off baggage. You don't want to carry around extra weight. To run with perseverance. And he says you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, I don't have time to talk about the first two. That's next week. So here's the third one. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Why do we need to fix our eyes on Jesus? When you're running your race, as you're living out your life, why do you need to fix your eyes on Jesus? Here's here's the first thought. The first thought is that Jesus is the strength of the Christian life. Jesus is the strength of the Christian life. So this week... I'm sitting at a table and I've got my notes out and I'm writing down some thoughts about the sermon and I write out this sentence and then I thought to myself, okay, I believe that, absolutely believe that. And yet I know in my own life and I know in the lives of people that that I pastor and I care about and I love, I know how difficult it is to access that strength. In, In other words, to say I believe that Jesus is the strength of the Christian life is one thing. But to know how one accesses that in their daily living, that's a whole different thing. And so the question is how? How does this become more than just a statement that looks nice on a bumper sticker? How does one actually connect oneself to this strength in our life? Because most of us, when we hear that, we're like, extra strength, that sounds good. Like you're going to the, you're going to the pharmacy, you're picking out some pain reliever, it says extra strength, you're buying that, Right? Because you want extra strength, but how, how does one access that? And why, why do we often have such difficulty connecting to this incredible power and energy that is Jesus while we're experiencing the Christian life? Here's what I've come up with, just in thinking about my own life, my own tendencies, and again, just, just visiting with people many, many different occasions over the last decade of my life. I think for most of us, whenever we invest ourselves in something, it's a project, it's a relationship, it's a new career opportunity, it's, a, it's parenting, it's whatever it is in our life. Whenever we invest ourselves in something, we, we kind of start with ourselves. We kind of start with the wisdom that we have and the energy that we have and the insight that we have and the determination that we have. And we kind of just hope going into it that we might carry ourselves all the way to the finish line. That we'll be able to figure this out on our own. We kind of start with our own strength, our own determination, our own willpower. And our hope is that, you know, maybe I'll be able to make it all the way by myself. But just in case I can't, I have a solid backup plan. Jesus will be there. Jesus is the backup plan. And if I find myself at that place where I just run out of energy, I got nothing left in the tank, I need some more wisdom, I need some more willpower, I need some energy, I need some enthusiasm, I'll just tap into Jesus. I'll get this extra strength that I need to carry me across the finish line. For most of us, whenever we invest ourselves, I think we tend to think about Jesus as a backup plan. He's the thing that we can lean on. He's the thing that we can trust in when we find ourselves at a place where we need a little bit of extra oomph in our life. So you might think about it this way. Most of us think about Jesus the way we think about AAA. Like AAA is not something you like paying for. But when you're stuck on the side of the road and you're out of gas or that, 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 that tire is flat, you love having AAA, Right? To have that, that call that you can make, someone who will show up and rescue you. And for many of us, that's what a relationship with Jesus looks like. The same relationship we have with AAA. 
Someone who will show up and rescue us when we find ourselves at a place where we just need rescue. Now, here's what I want you to hear very, very carefully. If that is your relationship with Jesus, he will always show up for you. He will always show up. He will not abandon you. He will not forget about you. He will not say, well, I've, you know, I've shown up so many times before and they didn't listen to me. I'm done. He doesn't do that. He will always show up for you. You need forgiveness. You need grace. You need to be picked back up. You need someone who's going to get in the boat with you and walk through that painful situation. You need someone who's, who's going to sit there with you and, and, and be in, in, that, in that moment. Jesus will always show up for you. But you will not cross the finish line of faith. You will not cross the finish line of faith. Now, what does that mean? Don't, don't, don't get sidetracked here. Here's what that means. We're talking about the legacy of your life, right? We're talking about coming to a point in your life where one day you say, I finished the race. I kept the faith. We're talking about the harvest of your life. And if your relationship with Jesus is like that, the harvest of your life will not be what you want it to be. The blessings that God wants you to receive in your life and share with the world will not be all that he dreams that they will be. You will not cross the finish line of faith. Now, that may sound harsh and mean, but let me tell you where the confidence comes for me in making that statement. So, the, so we, we fix our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the strength of, of the Christian life, but also because we are running his race, not our race. This is how the message translation says it. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish and in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your soul. So the race that you're running is a race that Jesus has started, and it's a race that Jesus has finished. He knows the course. He knows every turn on that course. He knows where the elevation changes are. He knows where the rocky paths are. He knows that place where you are tempted to turn right, where you need to turn left. That place where you are tempted to turn left, where you need to turn right. He knows where you are likely to veer off the course. He knows everything about the race that you are going to run. And so if your eyes are not fixed on Jesus, guess what? You'll find yourself somewhere you were never meant to be way off course, way beyond the boundaries of the race that you are intended to run, and you won't have time to finish the race because you're running his race. And he knows every moment of celebration and struggle along the way. So here's what this means. It means that fixing our eyes on Jesus is about living our lives with Jesus, not for Jesus, not to Jesus, not at Jesus, living with Jesus, racing with 
Jesus every single step of the way so that he can direct us and instruct us and say, oh, no, 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 don't go that way. (laughs) It's this way. This is the course, course. This is the path. This is where you are supposed to run your race. It's about living life with Jesus. It's about daily connecting back to the source of all life. That's what we're talking about next week. It's about daily disciplining your life in the same way that, that, that a world-class athlete would discipline themselves so that you can finish the race. There is something that God dreams for you, for each and every one of us, for our life together. And you know what? That dream for your life, that, that, that picture of what God believes can happen in you and, and the transformation that God believes can happen inside of you, I'm just totally convicted of the fact that that's worth fighting for. But the only way that comes true is if we live our life with Jesus, not treating him as the backup plan who just shows up when we find ourselves in an emergency, but someone who we run alongside every step of the way, someone who can share with us those celebrations, someone who was, who was already there with us when we walk through those struggles and those seasons of sorrow. Someone who can say, no, 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 not, this, not that way. We're going to go this way. Someone who can be your partner in life so that one day you will be able to say by faith that I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Let's pray. Lord God, you know so well the temptation that we all face to quit and, Lord, the temptation that we all face to wander on our, on our race. And so first, Lord, I, I pray for anyone in this room who finds themselves in, in, that, in that season of life where they're, where they're thinking a lot about quitting. And maybe even, Lord, in, in that season, wondering where they went wrong, what, what happened. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would nurture them today. That you would encourage them. That you would remind them that you have not forgotten them, you have not abandoned them. That you are there for them. And then, Lord, I pray that, that somehow whether it be a simple expression today by someone who may be seated next to them, a smile, a hug, a word of affirmation, somehow, Lord, give them a, a tangible reminder of your presence in their life, a reminder that you will not abandon them. And Lord, help us. Help us to, help us to learn how to, how to run with you not beyond you, not in front of you, not behind, but, but right next to you. Each and every moment of our lives, help us, Lord, to, to train ourselves in such a way that we might be finishers of the race. People who keep the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.